0: morning okay i had my alzheimer's moment this morning i was downstairs reading over my message like i always do and eric comes to the door and he says you all right i'm like well i mean yeah i'm not feel like i'm in danger down here or anything he's like and i look at my watch it was like 10 after i was down there still reading i totally lost track of time okay i don't know why i told you that because now i look older than i am but i did all right So today we're going to move on in our series over 1st and 2nd Corinthians called Address the Mess. Uh, We titled it that because the Corinthian church, I mean, was a mess. They were, they'd strayed so much, they just became a mess, so much so that Paul got to a point where he just couldn't ignore their situation anymore and he had to address it. And he was particularly invested in this church because he helped establish it and spent 14 or 15 months with them trying to give them a good start and get them where they could stand on their own feet. But after he left the church, under their own leadership, um, they started drifting. They started stray, And they were becoming immoral. They were becoming distracted. They were becoming self-righteous. Uh, they were becoming compromising. They were just becoming everything you don't want to become if you're a new church or any church. They'd fallen so far that they even started to abuse and misuse spiritual gifts, which is kind of what chapter 14 is about. See, spiritual gifts should be used to glorify God. But they used them to glorify themselves, and one of the problems they had that got them in the situation they were in was that they had allowed themselves to be uh, uh, influenced by the Greco-Roman culture, and the Greco-Roman culture was not a godly culture. As a matter of fact, it was it was very self-centered and selfish, and it was very godless. It was not a good culture. Uh, they all but worshipped intellectuals. They thought that knowledge was king, so they about worshipped intellectuals. They looked up to the prolific speakers and the philosophers, and those were like the celebrities of their time, that was pretty much their gods. So four or five years-ish after he had helped establish it, it just got too bad, and he said, okay, I'm going to have to write them and get this fixed because they're about to self-destruct. Now, over the last few weeks, we have been covering chapter 13, uh, and it's a biblical view of love, and we covered that in great detail. Now, in chapter 14, we're going to discuss how important pursuing and correctly using spiritual gifts actually is. Uh, Spiritual gifts should be used vertically. Okay, that means they should be focused on God. It should make you look up or have you look toward God. But when we're used to glorify people, they're not used vertically anymore. They're used horizontally. You're worried about what's going on here instead of pleasing God. So I titled the message today, The Power of Vertical Worship. Now, before we jump into this, let me give you, uh, I don't know, just an FYI this is a very controversial chapter with a lot of people i don't know why i mean i get it it's one of those things that people like to argue and fight about but i'm i'm of the mindset that let's not argue and fight about it words mean things let's break it down and see what it means and what it means is what it means and we got to take it you know what i mean so if i make you mad suck it up okay first corinthians 14 1 it says pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy." okay that's really important So notice Paul starts off by saying, Pursue love yet, okay? Desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Okay, pursue in verse 1 is the Greek word dioko, and it means it has a really, really specific meaning. Okay, it means to do something with intense effort and with definite purpose or goal. Okay, so he's saying pursue love, meaning that should be a priority, but also desire spiritual gifts right you should first pursue love but it's not i mean it's the most important gift you're going to have is love and everybody has it and it needs to be incorporated in everything you do he was reminding him listen no matter what your gift is if you don't incorporate love first and foremost you are wasting your time with that gift that's what he was telling them, because that has to be the motivation and by saying earnestly desire spiritual gifts he's basically saying love should inspire service listen if you love it's an action we've talked about that time and time again if you love your spouse, you treat them like you love them. Don't say you love them and treat them poorly. If you love God, it should inspire you to serve Him. That's what love should do. So that's kind of what he was trying to trying to get through to them here. Now, as I've said before, God's given us all spiritual gifts, and we're supposed to find them, and we're supposed to serve Him with those. Look at First Peter, starting in verse 4. I'm sorry, chapter 4, starting in verse 10. It says, as each one has received a, a special gift. Now, did you hear that? As each one everyone, as each one, has received a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, uh, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now notice here he says that we... If we have a gift, and everyone does, he says everyone has a gift here, but he says that we should do it, and we do it to glorify God. That's the whole reason spiritual gifts exist, and we've drifted from that. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that here in a minute. Now, notice the gift that Paul said they should desire the most is prophecy, which is kind of strange when you think about what the big debate about this chapter is. But the thing he said that you should desire the most is prophecy. Okay, now prophecy is the Greek word "prophetuo," and it means to speak divine utterances, to speak divine utterances. So anytime you're sharing the word of God with someone, you're prophesying. Anytime you recite a verse to someone, by definition, it's prophecy. He's saying that's what you should be focused on. You should want that more than any other gift. Right? Because that's every believer's responsibility, is to prophesy. Okay? Now, Again, I want you to notice. In a chapter that everyone is battling about another gift, he's saying at the very beginning that we should desire prophecy more than anything. Yet, that's not the debate in this chapter. I think that's kind of ridiculous. Now, ironically, as we continue discussing chapter 14 (laughs) and and prophecy, prophecy actually gets overshadowed in this chapter. I mean, I get it. But prophecy actually gets overshadowed uh, you know, because everybody wants to talk about what? Tongues. Everybody wants to talk about tongues, right? And it, it blows me away because today when people think of 1 Corinthians 14, I'll bet you one out of a hundred will say, oh yeah, where it tells us we should desire more than anything to prophesy. That's what most, I, no one will say that. Most people will say, oh, the tongues chapter, which sounds weird and I don't like that much. But anyway, it's just one of those things. You know, and it is one of the main topics of this chapter, but the topic in chapter 14 when it deals with tongues is the correct use of tongues during a worship service, okay? But tongues didn't become a hot topic because it was such an important gift. Paul wasn't talking about it in chapter 14 in such great detail because it was so important. That's not why he was talking about that. He even told us right in the beginning, he made us realize it's not. Prophecy it. Right? But he covered it in great detail because they were regularly misusing that gift in worship and it was causing a problem. So the only reason it was being brought up in such great detail was it was becoming a problem. That's why it was brought up in such great detail. Now we'll look more into that when we get to verses 2 through 19. Let's move on. Let's look at horizontal ver- uh, versus vertical worship. First Corinthians 14. 2. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to... But to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Okay? And I'm going to use a lot of Greek because this is one of those things the Greek really clears things up. But horizontal worship is not upwards. Okay? Horizontal worship is worrying about what's going on here, worrying about what people think about you, how you come across other people, trying to edify yourself. That's what horizontal worship is. Okay? Now, the word tongue in verse 2 is the Greek word, glossa. And it means language or dialect. Okay, now I want you to listen to what I'm about to say, and this is probably going to make people mad, but it's true nonetheless. Nowhere in Scripture does tongues translate to random, unrecognizable babble or gibberish. It never, ever, ever, ever translates that way. And if you want to fight and argue about it, great, you're wrong. Because I can prove it to you. It is never translated as just gibberish. That's not... Why would God say, of all the great gifts out there, I want you to make sure you're good at doing something no one understands? Make sure that's number one. Okay, that's It's never, ever, ever translated that way. And let me tell you where it got its start. Okay, and here again, I'm probably going to make people mad. Okay, it got its start because in Corinth, there were pagan temples all over the place. I mean, there were all different kinds of pagan gods, all kinds of weird psycho practices that they called religion, right? But the pagans had this one practice called a static babble. Ecstatic static babble. Okay? It was a practice the pagans used. And what they would do was someone would stand up and start babbling unrecognizably. Right in the middle of the service. They just start babbling all over himself, a bunch of gibberish. Right? And this was during pagan worship services. And this confusing practice and that's what it was it was confusing they'd stand up and start babbling and usually someone would stand up right after them and say wait let me tell you what the gods are saying and then explain it. okay does that sound familiar at all okay that was called ecstatic babble and a lot of times it was all you know a bunch of hockey it wasn't true i mean you know they they were just standing up trying to get people to look at them and someone else goes i want to share that clout so they jump up and say wait wait i know what he's saying You know what I mean? So that's where it got its start, right? Now, when the Corinthian church started growing, uh, some of the pagans who practiced this ecstatic babble infiltrated the Corinthian church. They infiltrated the Corinthian church. And before long, they tried implementing a form of ecstatic babble in the Corinthian church, and it was becoming a problem. So much so that Paul had to spend a lot of time dealing with it, right? He didn't deal with it too gingerly either. He went right at the juggler here and I, but I mean he had to deal with it but in this in verses 2 through 4 what he's talking about he's not talking about the ecstatic babble yet in verses 2 through 4 here he was talking about he's building up to it but he was talking about people speaking foreign languages without an interpreter because the word tongues there was talking about an understandable language or dialogue, Okay, so what he was saying is regardless of what the message you have is if no one understands the message it's useless right now how much would it benefit this church if i said you know what i have a good friend of mine who's a german preacher doesn't speak a word of english and no one here knows how to interpret it but i'm gonna have him preach a 45 minute message to you can you imagine sitting out there going why am i here you know what i mean not knowing what the heck is he saying i mean that's what he's saying no matter what the message no matter how good the speaker if no one understands that message it's useless all right the only person who would understand what they were saying is god doesn't need to find himself okay he already has everything pretty well lined out but to everyone else that this one speaking the foreign language was like someone speaking mysteries that's what Paul was calling it mysteries so he was basically saying God can't be glorified if nobody knows what you're saying you might have the most glorifying message to Germans if you spoke German but to us we're going what you know what I mean I mean, sometimes I talk so fast, I think you guys do that anyway. But, I mean, imagine if I spoke a totally, completely different language. You know, I doubt we'd have very many people showing up every week to hear me speak something they do not understand. Okay, so if they don't understand, it's not profitable. And that kind of worship would be considered horizontal worship. It's not making anybody look up. It's just making people scratch their head. Because nobody really knows what's being said. They're just scratching their head. Uh, you know, it makes people focus on people. You know, when people stand up and do that, people are saying, look at me. Look what I can do. Why in the world would I need to speak another language if everybody hears thing English? Why? Why would I do that? You know what I mean? It, people say, oh, because it's a spiritual gift. I wouldn't think you would take it as a spiritual gift, would you? You would look at me like I'm nuts, right? And we will deal with that because later next week, Paul actually does tell people they think you're nuts. Anyway. So that means that would be horizontal worship. But the one who prophesies, okay, they're supposed to do so in a language the congregation understands. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. It says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. We'll look at that here in a minute. Uh, One who speaks in a tongue edifies what? Himself. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Okay, he's making a very clear line here. All right, we're supposed to edify the church. He's saying the one who prophesies edifies the church. The one who speaks in a foreign language that no one interprets, it just edifies himself, right? Now, because by doing so, by speaking in a prophecy in a language that people understand, not only can people understand it, it can make changes in their lives. The Word of God will make them, draw, you know, just draw closer to God. God... His divinely inspired word is so powerful; it always has and always will grab you. It always grabs you and changes something in you. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but have you ever come to church and it feels like they're preaching at you? You ever feel that way? And you're getting, you ever get uncomfortable, and move around your seat, going, "What does he know?" Anybody, you know what I mean? Listen, I'm going to let you in on a little preacher secret. We never prepare messages for you because. None of our business, number one. And number two, what a boring message. Anyway, it's not about you. Sometimes the Word of God needs to talk to you. So it takes a hold of you. It's divinely inspired, and so it always has and always will change people's lives. But notice he said uh, that it speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. It edifies, what he was saying was it edifies or uplifts people by reminding them that, listen, God loves you and will protect you, and no matter what's going on, He's got you, right? It exhorts people or encourages people. It encourages them to stay faithful because they can read about how he's been faithful through the past. It's about parting the Red Sea and David and Goliath. It makes you realize that even when times are tough, right, you know God's in complete control. And it consoles or comforts people because it reminds them that God's going to make it all work out in the end. You know, that's one thing that I actually draw a lot of strength from is when things are going crazy, I just think, you know what, this doesn't surprise God. And I know that at the end of the day, I know where I'm going to be when I die, right? And so that's what the Word of God does for people, if they understand it, right? Now, in verse 4, Paul compared the one who prophesies to the one who speaks uh, in a tongue or a language or an unknown language. The one who prophesies, he says, edifies the church because you're growing them closer to God with the divine Word of God. You know, uh, we we live in an era right now where sometimes church loses the message right now i'm all about production people get upset when i say this but people say i don't like it when churches have production and lights and all this stuff and i'm like yeah jesus would have used them if he had them right because remember when he calmed the storm he could have done that from the shore he could have done that from mcdonald's if he wanted to in jerusalem but what's he do he walks on water and calms the storm why because that's cool as heck that's why you think you talk about people paying attention the storm stops and jesus sitting on the shore they might go eh? maybe it was him maybe it wasn't but when you see a man walking across stormy water without sinking saying you know be still and it stops that is called production right so i have nothing against production but sometimes i think we lose the message I don't, I, if you have production, great, I love it just make sure you don't have an hour and a half of production and ten minutes of a vague message that teaches nothing Okay. the word of God is the star of a service Okay. that's what's supposed to be the star of a service and produce all you want, I love it, I wish we could do more but we're never going to sell the word of God out to do it Okay. it's very, very important, the one who prophesies edifies the church The one who speaks in an unknown tongue just edifies himself. Now, in verse 5, Paul said something that has often been misinterpreted or or misrepresented, whatever you want to say, and let's see if you can pick it up. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. It says, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater, you're following along, please underscore this, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues that's not Pastor Chris bashing tongues that's not Pastor Chris being a conservative that's not Pastor Chris trying to slap the Armenian beliefs in the face it's not that this is God, the inspired word of God and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive what? edifying, right everybody still with me? Anybody going to send me mean emails? Waste of time anyway. Okay. So Paul was saying that he wished more people had the gift of speaking in languages. He was saying he wished that more people had the ability to be bilingual, trilingual, able to speak many languages. But despite saying that, he was even more hopeful that they would just prophesy. Right? Because... There were a great many people who needed to hear God's Word then, and there still is a great many that need to hear God's Word now. And those who prophesied, no matter what the language, could reach them if they could understand them, right? The kind of worship that reaches people with the Word of God, that's vertical. It's not horizontal. It's not worried about what's going on out here or look at me. Vertical worship is look at God. Look at God. Don't even look at me. Look at God. It was vertical worship it made people look up and made them glorify god now notice that paul even said that he wished everyone spoke in tongues okay greatly misused he this remember this word doesn't mean random babble and gibberish he's not saying man i wish all of you spoke in gibberish that nobody understood but you that's not what he's saying here he's saying he wished people spoke in more languages why would he say that i don't know because if you speak in three languages you can reach three times more people i mean that's probably what he's thinking but he's saying he wished that more people spoke in languages. And Paul himself spoke in tongues or languages, but we're going we're gonna to see more about that in verse 18. I don't want to, you know, spoil it. We'll wait till we get there. Okay, 1 Corinthians fourteen six. This is basically a section where he tells us words have meaning. He says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, uh, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? He's saying, if I speak to you in a tongue and it doesn't do these things, it doesn't reveal things to you, it doesn't give you knowledge, what good is it? Verse 7, Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, is producing a sound. If they do not produce distinction in tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is what clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air, meaning nobody's getting it, nobody's listening. Okay. So Paul illustrates it in a really, really. I mean, this is a really cool illustration because uh, he illustrates why it's you know it's inappropriate to use tongues in a way that no one understands. He illustrates it using something really cool. Um, he's saying if he came speaking in unknown tongues how would it profit people what well, he leads off with right? then he made this illustration of lifeless things and he's talking about instruments that make sounds all right. and he said if someone played a harp but didn't know how to basically if they didn't know notes if they didn't know keys and they just came out and started banging on that harp people would be going what are you doing they wouldn't say what beautiful music They would go, who let the monkey loose on the harp? Get him out of there, right? If you don't know how to play it, don't play it. I remember one time, (laughs) I shouldn't tell this story, but I'm going to. I was in a church service one time, and they they invited this man and woman to come and sing. And, you know, being the optimist, I was hoping it would be good, right? Because who would want to sing in front of 400 people if they could not do so, right? So I go in there, and I sit down and it was a double tragedy because she couldn't sing she couldn't carry a tune in a dump truck and he couldn't play so we had a guitarist who could not play and a singer who could not sing and God helped me I got tickled and started laughing I, I shouldn't have I, but I hit it like a good Christian and I put, my, I put my head in my hand and I was laughing so hard it made my body jerk and the guy beside me thought I was like getting blessed out of my socks He's like rubbing my back And then I felt double bad Because I am busting a gut laughing at It was like the worst singing And music you've ever heard Finally I started praying God please I don't want to laugh right now This is so inappropriate Please take this laughter from me So it stopped And I raised up and just wiped the tears out of my eyes I thought bonus don't think I was into it And then the guy goes Well if the devil tried to get us there We're going to do another one (laughs) And I busted out again laughing And I put my head in my hands And my buddy goes You're not crying You're laughing I'm like Are you listening? You know No one was edified by that No one was glorified by that No one knew more about God after that No one thought about God Everybody was thinking Lord let it in Right? Only the tone deaf people Were into that jam And I mean That's what I think of When I think of these Lifeless instruments He's saying Listen if someone can't play the harp and they play it it doesn't do any good no one's going to like it and he says likewise like a bugler now I don't know how many of you are aware of what buglers what the purpose they serve but a lot of times they would give commands by music right if a bugler couldn't play imagine the battle's about to start and somebody grabs a bugle and it sounds terrible like a cat in a dryer you know and nobody uh, not that I've ever done that but imagine now for a second They're going What does that mean? I don't know It makes no sense Are we supposed to go to battle? I don't know I never heard that thing. You see what I'm saying? If it doesn't produce A distinct sound That sends the right message No one's going to be ready For battle It was really a brilliant Illustration if you think about it And he's saying Likewise People who speak words That no one understands Like a bugler who can't play Or a guy who plays a harp That can't play it's It's useless It's useless It's like speaking into the air Okay now Okay, good. So next, Paul said all languages have meaning because if they don't, what's the point, basically? 1 Corinthians 14 10. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is what? Without meaning. Okay, no kind is without meaning. Okay, the word languages in verse 10 is a little different than the word tongues in the Greek. Okay, uh, the Greek for the word languages is phoné, which is where we get telephone phone right phone can be translated language or the power of the sound which i think is cool or it also can be translated voice okay can be translated one of those now why is that so significant well i'm glad you asked because it's significant because it means that voices sounds and languages were designed to have meaning they were designed to have meaning so paul was saying at least three different but similar things in one word with that language is he was saying every language was created to be understood every sound was created to be distinct and understood every voice was created to be distinct and understood so basically no form of spiritual communication singing, rapping, preaching, whatever none of it was designed to be a mystery that nobody understood if that's the way it comes across the person doing it is doing it wrong okay, okay let me move forward now so next, Paul explains why understanding what's communicated was so important. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, "If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a what? A barbarian, and to the one who speaks, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, because remember they all wanted spiritual gifts because they wanted people to look at them, seek." to abound for the edification of the church he was saying i know why you want them. you want to be looked at but look for spiritual gifts that will direct people to god vertically not to you so he was saying if a person can't understand what's being said the speaker will be like a barbarian to the listener okay now the word barbarian in the greek is barbaros and it just means foreigner that's all it means it just means foreigner right basically if someone speaks a language foreign or unknown to the congregation their communication is useless, right? Because if they can't understand each other, how can you teach each other? What would the point be? Okay? So Paul said, if a person wants to speak in tongues, first pray that they can interpret also. Look at this, verse 13. It says, therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I've heard people tell me before, and I don't know, I'm not i am not picking on them, that's between them and God. They say, oh, well, I pray in tongues. And I go, to what end? Well, because it's a gift. I'm like, so when you're praying in tongues, you know what it means? No, but God does. Anybody else find that strange? So you're praying something you don't, what if your tongues are saying, Lord, take all my hair? I mean, you don't know, I might have prayed that once. If you don't know what you're praying, what's the point? Right? It even says here, it says, my mind is unfruitful. If I pray and don't know what I'm praying, why am I praying? That's what he's saying here. Okay? So if the one speaking in tongues can't interpret and has no one else to do so, Paul's basically saying, stay quiet. If you're going to speak and you can't interpret what you're saying, or someone else can't interpret it for you, just stay quiet. Right? Because Paul says that even if someone prays and claims they pray in an unknown tongue, He still has to be able to understand what he's praying or who's it edifying, right? If someone doesn't know what they're praying, it won't edify them. It won't benefit them. So next, as he always does, he points out a hypothetical situation and offers a solution. I love this. Verses 15 through 19. He says, what is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. What he was saying is I will pray being led by the spirit, but I'm going to use my mind meaning I'm going to know what I'm praying about, right? I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with my mind also, meaning I'm going to sing something I understand, and that people who hear it will also understand. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, because people were saying that it was spiritual that they spoke in tongues that no one understood, okay? It says, but otherwise, if you bless in Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, I'll tell you what that means in a minute, How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say uh, the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? So if one prays or sings in an unknown language or an unknown tongue, how will it edify the church, basically, is what he's saying. But Paul said, if you bless in the Spirit only, that means or without an interpretation, right, how will the one who occupies the place of the ungifted say amen? Okay, the word ungifted is the Greek word... Idiotes. Um, we get what word from that? <laughs> Idiot. Now, understand, understand. It wasn't an insult then. We made it an insult. Okay? But idiotes means outsider, layperson, or one who does not have the gift or the same gift as the person who's speaking. That's what that word means in the Greek. It was not an insult. We made it an insult. Okay? It simply just meant an outsider, someone who didn't understand, right? Now it means something totally different. Okay? But that's where we get that word. You're welcome. Anyway. Now, in verse 17, Paul explains what he meant a little bit better. Look at this. He says if you if you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. The word edified in verse 17 is the Greek word oiko de meo and it means to build up strengthen or to uh or to be made more capable to be made more capable everything in a worship service everything is supposed to glorify god and build each other up that's the whole reason we're here speaking in a language no one understands even the speaker can't do that okay now let's look at 18 and 19 i might actually finish this. can you believe it starting in verse 18, it says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Remember when I told you Paul spoke in tongues and we were going to come back to that in verse 18? Bam, here we are. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, now notice he says, however, in the church, there's a distinction there. I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue or a language no one understands. Okay. Now, as I said earlier, Paul spoke many different languages. We know that he spoke many different languages. Now, most theologians will agree he spoke at least four. He spoke Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and Aramaic. That's pretty agreed upon in the theological community. Uh, theological community. But some believe and some have asserted that he spoke up to 14. He was a brilliant man. But he spoke, when he said, you know, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, he wasn't saying, I thank God that I babble more than all of you and I have the most gibberish of all of you. That's not what he was saying. He was saying he had the gift of speaking different languages. That was what he was saying. That, there's no doubt he spoke a lot of languages, but he was that's what he was talking about here. But then he pulls out a ratio that I love to talk about. He went as far as to say he would rather speak five words that people will understand than 10,000 words in a language no one gets, no one understands, okay? So this is a 2,000 to 1 ratio. If God told you, I would 2,000 to 1 rather you not do anything, would you do it? I mean, the odds are pretty rough there, right? So Paul came out, people who who take this chapter as proof text that you should speak in tongues in church, I don't know where they get that, because he's literally saying prophecy is more important, and to be honest with you, I would much rather that you just speak five words that everybody gets, then stand up there and babble on 10,000 words where no one knows what you're saying. 2,000 to 1 prefer that no one ever speak in a language that appears to be a mystery. Put it in you know simpler terms, speaking an unknown language was not a priority and actually uh, could drive people away because they wouldn't understand. Now that being said, how did the lowest priority gift in chapter 14 How did it happen that the lowest priority gift that Paul even discouraged 2,000 to 1 that you not do it? 2,000 to 1. How did that become such a big deal? Somebody please explain that to me. I don't understand. Because the simple, you know, yet harsh reality is that people like to bring attention and admiration and praise to themselves more than God. That's why this is a big deal. Because people want to know a mystery that you don't know so that you look at them and say, gosh, I wish I knew what they meant that's what it is it has nothing the whole chapter is discouraging tongues the whole thing why is it a big deal now I'm gonna you know I want you to understand something I'm not that guy that says it can't and I think that the gift of tongues could resurface now not people babbling that was never the gift the gift in Acts chapter 2 and we'll talk about this next week was people speaking in Galilean and everybody from every nation hearing in their own language that's that's the gift of tongue could god use that again sure why wouldn't he you know if we're speaking to an audience of mixed languages and god wanted me there he's going to make way for them to understand me and if technology won't do it he will right because it could still us. i'm not bashing that but what i'm saying is standing up and babbling in a room full of english-speaking people babbling a language you yourself don't understand makes no sense we'll talk more about that next week because if a worship service function, uh, functions the way God wants it to be if worship service is the way it's supposed to be no one should be looking and admiring at you, no one they shouldn't think of how good you are how great you are, if it's functioning the way it should, if I'm doing my job you should be thinking about God, if I'm doing my job you should be see, thinking about the truth we find in his word, you should not be thinking about oh how great he is, As it's hard as it is to resist that when you see me that was, shouldn't be what you do <laughs> in a service. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pick up there next week. I'm going to ask you would please bow your head. We always like to give a brief invitation and we just believe the word of God has power and so many times people say, I don't know why you'd have an invitation in a, in a message that has nothing to do about, with salvation, but here's the truth. God's word accomplishes its purpose and he can use any word he wants to draw people to Christ. So we always give an opportunity if someone's not sure where they stand with God or just wants prayer, we just want to pray for you. So just make eye contact us. put your head right back down. Bless those people. I'm not going to chase you down, but I will pray for you. And I do pray for those people. Bless those people. Bless those people. Listen, if you're watching, or you're listening online, God knows your heart. Um, believers, you know, we hear a message like this. And I don't preach this message because I want you to have ammunition to argue with somebody about tongues. If someone wants to argue about tongues, the most spiritual thing you can do is walk away. Right? I give you this message. I'm teaching you this. Because we need to remember why we're here. We're here for Him, to get closer to Him, to grow in our faith. And in order to do that, we've got to have people who are dedicated to seeing that happen, who are willing to play their role in making that happen. We need to think a lot more about that. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your love and your mercy, especially your grace. Because apart from your grace, we don't have a chance. None of us are good enough. None of us will ever be good enough. None of us can be sinless. We will always sin. But you loved us so much you sent your son to die on our behalf to be sinless so that we could trust in the sinless one and have his righteousness applied to us. It's not about who we are. It's about who he is. So if someone here is struggling, I just pray that you remove all the doubt and remind them that all they need to do, you don't have to change anything, just believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee their eternal life. And if they do that, You've promised to give it to them. And you will make the changes that need to be made. And if they make that decision, I'd love to talk to them. But God, for those of us who are believers, this experience, this church experience, is supposed to be training ground for us to learn and grow closer to you and draw others closer to you also. Remind us that this is not just an obligation. This is not something we do because we have to. We do this because we want to. We want to be with our. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to draw people to Christ, and we want to worship you and give you the praise that you're worthy. So give us a heart that is passionate enough to find the role that we can serve that will make the worship services and anyone we come in contact with find a way to you. We just pray that as we leave here, you would keep us safe, let us live what we profess, and if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory that you're worthy of. Amen.